Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation is driven by one goal, housing affordability for all. They're about solving housing affordability together. CMHC offers supply-oriented programs, funding programs, market intelligence, research, data, and a team dedicated to push the boundaries of housing innovation. Visit cmhc.ca to learn more about how you can play a role in their ambitious goal that by 2030, everyone in Canada has a home that they can afford and meets their needs. CMHC helps make housing affordable in many ways. Learn more about Canada's national housing strategy, funding, research, and so much more at cmhc.ca. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squahomish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. Welcome to On The Way Home, a podcast dedicated to the issues surrounding homelessness and the incredible experts making a difference in the lives of homeless people. Remember to subscribe to the podcast anywhere you're listening and share it with a friend. Welcome to another episode of On The Way Home. I am your host, Michael Braithwaite from Baludor. Uh, every week we bring to you great guests talking about the challenges the innovations, the successes, um, things that are happening that affect our most vulnerable citizens across Canada. We have guests from around the world. Uh, this week's guest is no exception. But before I get to that guest, I should share a little bit about what is happening at the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness and as well, Ludor. And right now, uh, CAH is pushing hard uh, to continue the Vote Housing Campaign uh, really with a focus on the federal budget that is coming out right now, encouraging people to go to their website, uh, check out the work that they've done, and reaching out to your local MPs to make sure that housing and the solutions around affordable housing um, and preventing any homelessness are included uh, in this coming budget. So please do that. Check out their website at caeh.ca. And Blue Door, of course, my organization uh, always up to different and new things. Um, this coming weekend, we have our coldest night of the year event. Now, this will probably have already gone by by the time uh, listeners hear this podcast, but it's a pretty cool event. We had a podcast around it happening across the country, uh, really raising great awareness to um, around homelessness and what's happening in different parts of the country, but raising hopefully $10 million across the country uh, for many, many different organizations to prevent and end homelessness and provide the services that they do. So that is coming up and we're, uh, we're very close to our goal. I'm sure we're going to hit it of $140,000, most of which goes to our out of the gold program uh, at Blue Door. So exciting times as always at my organization. But I digress. Let's get to our guest. So today I have with me Mark Richardson, who is the CTO uh, rich analytics and has 25 plus years of experience on data analytics platforms for institutional clients in the US and Canada. He's a former member of both the Toronto Planning Review Panel um, and the Toronto Open Data Advisory Group at the City of Toronto. So Mark is the pro bono 
meaning Mark volunteers his time, technical lead for data visualization and analytics on the housingnowto.com civic tech project. And that's what we're going to talk about today is work with that group where volunteers work to develop robust tools to improve citizen engagement around civic challenges like affordable housing development and supportive housing access. Listen, I love all our guests, but people like Mark who give their free time and their skills uh, for the betterment of society, uh, even more so. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Mark, we, we ask this question to all our guests because it's a little different for, for everyone. Uh, but we start with the first question. What does home mean to you? It's really simple. Home means stability and opportunity. Those are the, you know, the, if you've got a, a regular place to wake up in the morning, go to bed at night, like kitchen to have breakfast in and a place to brush your teeth and hang your shower towel, um, you have opportunity. If you don't have that, then most of the you know day-to-day -day existence is um, is put at risk if you don't have that stability. And if you don't have that stability, you don't have an address for filling out a job application. Then you don't have the opportunity either, or you know where your kids are going to go to school. All those things are tied to your home, so uh, it's important that that we give everybody, no matter their economic circumstances that opportunity and that stability. Awesome. Love that. You know, we've had many, many different answers, but I love the word opportunity right there, that the opportunity ceases to exist when you don't have a home. So thank you for that, Mark. Let's talk about Housing Now TO. Uh, what is it? How did it come about? So I'll, I'll start the description with my standard disclaimer that we don't work for the city of Toronto. We don't work for Toronto Community Housing. We don't work for Create TO, the City of Toronto's real estate arm. Um, we're all volunteers. We come from different backgrounds. I come from the IT world. We have planners and architects and urban designers. Uh, we have lots of students we work with at the Ryerson Planning School and at U of T School of Cities. Um, and it is really a method of crowdsourcing the best ideas for affordable housing and workforce housing development within the borders of the city of Toronto. And essentially our housingnowto.com project is a Google map and some social media accounts. And we are tracking the city of Toronto's affordable housing development projects in real time as they go through all the million different steps that you know about, Michael, in order to get a project from here's a piece of land or a parking lot to here's the day somebody gets to move into it. A lot of that information in the past has been very opaque. A lot of times little decisions get made early in the process, which actually hurt or can jeopardize the project later on. Um, so we, we really try to use like an audit as you go method to make sure that every decision that's being made along that multi-year journey is the best possible decision to ensure a good outcome in affordable housing development. Very, very cool. And how did it come about? So you mentioned a little bit about the team. It's a variety of different people with different skills that lend. Um, but, you know, where did the need come from? Did, you know, who started it? How did this all kind of come together? 
Well, as I said, I, I really come from the open data, open government transparency world more than from the affordable housing world. Uh, and in 2018, in the city of Toronto, we had two mayoral candidates who made their prime issue during that election affordable housing. You had Jennifer Keyes, Matt, saying 100,000 new units of affordable housing in 10 years. You had John Tory saying 40,000 new units of affordable housing in 12 years. And in sort of August of 2018, uh, Jennifer Pagliaro, who is one of the writers at the Toronto Star, wrote an article that said, how realistic are either of these plans when in on an average year for the last 10 or 12 years, the city of Toronto has barely been able to deliver 1,950 new affordable housing units. Um, how do you go from that to delivering tens of thousands of units? And because we're data nerds, because we're mapping nerds, it's much easier to track affordable housing development sites than it is to track individuals who are coming and going from the shelter system or the supportive housing system. You know, parking lots don't move. So we can track, is this parking lot now affordable housing or is it still a parking lot? And if it's still a parking lot, why is it still a parking lot? Um, so we saw an opportunity. We thought it was important that in order to make the case for open government, for transparency, um, that we pointed at the wicked problems of the city and clearly affordable housing is one of those wicked problems. And we've seen the uptake, you know, the uptake where 87,000 visitors to our map in three years so far. Uh, we're working with students at University of Calgary who are building a Calgary version of our map. Uh, nice. We got a spotlight award from CMHC. We get all kinds of phone calls from people now in various different municipalities who want to put our just the facts lens on their affordable housing programs. That's very cool. I think if you would have asked, you know, uh, 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, a lot of people in the sector data, you know, we don't have time for, but data matters and you're proving that and it's shown and people are, are seeing that and wanting to duplicate that. Uh, let, let's talk about the housing now model uh, for workforce rental housing, how it's different from the model uh, uh, for co-ops and government owned social housing. Really the, the main thing that the city of Toronto brings to the housing now program is the land. Um, so there are currently, they started out with 11 sites in December of 2018. They added another six sites in 2020 and another five sites last year. Uh, so we're now at 21 sites in total around the city of Toronto, varying in size from about half an acre to some sites or seven or eight acres, some of the big TTC subway station parking lots. Um, and they don't sell the land. They are leasing the land for 99 years in order to retain some control over how the land is developed. The city is also um, pre-upzoning the land to what it believes is a viable density to support the kind of affordable housing they want to create on the site. And they create the minimum number of affordable housing units in any development is one third of the units have to be affordable rental. 
affordable rental in the city's terminology roughly works out to about $1,100 a month for a one-bedroom unit in 2022 dollars. But you could still bring a rent voucher to that to lower the out-of-pocket for them. Um, the, the idea of workforce rental is really that somebody who is full-time employed in, you know, retail or school custodian or any of these kinds of jobs that range between about $20,000 and $60,000 a year in household income can afford to live in a pur purpose-built rental apartment. Um, and, you know, it's different than co-ops and it's very different than rent geared to income social housing. Uh, there's been a lot of, you know, complaints and concern that we're not building more rent geared to income, more social housing. If the federal government wants to show up with $400,000 a unit, we can turn some of these housing now units into rent geared to income units. But without that kind of capital subsidy, it's it's impossible. And that's the real number. Like, you know, we were talking to the to uh, people in Ottawa the other week and you know, they still kind of think in 1970s, 1980s dollars about what they get for a billion dollars. Now, for a billion dollars today, you get roughly 2,500 affordable housing units. So when federal politicians are saying they want to create 10,000 or 50,000 or 100,000 affordable housing units, there better be a pretty big check coming along with that because you're not buying them for... $75,000 a unit or whatever it was when they were building St. Lawrence uh, in 1976, right? They, they, the money is totally different. It's a much different scale today. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Wow. Uh, and that makes so much sense. I, I love this uh, work, uh, workforce rental housing you know, we need all all sorts of, of housing, but you're you're saying like you know, so many people in the studies have shown can't afford to live where they work, right? Yeah. And right now, there's a real labor drain where, where people are saying we can't hire people, and part of that is, hey, they're going to other parts where housing is actually truly affordable. They can actually afford to live. There's a story today in Toronto Life magazine on their website of you know, a employed couple in Toronto with a couple of kids who moved to Thunder Bay. The answer to affordable housing can't be moved to Thunder Bay. No, no. I saw in uh, in the Globe and Mail recently. They're saying in the city of Toronto, uh, if you use the thirty percent of income for housing uh, model, that you would have to make ninety thousand dollars a year to afford a one bedroom apartment, which is, you know, insane. And what is the like the low income cutoff? I think is uh, around twenty two thousand or yeah, twenty one, twenty two. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you think of the gap there, right? And so, so we well, have so we've done we've done a lot of work in the last couple of years with Toronto Region Board of Trade, 
uh, they have an entire series of reports called Housing for Workers, which looks at, you know, first year teachers, first year nurses, first year, like all of these trades and skills that we want in our cities, that we need in our cities. And we have to create housing that is available and at an income level they can, they'll be earning. And it's actually been interesting how, how, you know, the Board of Trade on one side is saying this, but also a bunch of the public sector unions are saying this as well. So it's really become a apolitical challenge that needs to be tackled in a way that it probably wasn't 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so you work with, you know, Housing Now, a group of volunteers doing this. You work with various partners. You named a few of them. Uh, can you tell us uh, some of the others that are involved and what the roles are? Yeah, I mean, uh, we work with uh, a number of different architecture firms. Uh, Kearns Mancini has done some great work for us. They do a lot of uh, development in southwestern Ontario. I think they've, uh, they're, they're doing the new building in Windsor, uh, which is like a passive house, social housing building for, for down there. Uh, they did some of the early revitalization work in Regent Park for the Toronto Community Housing Corporation. So they have, they have a lot of experience in that. We also work with uh, Nama Blonder and her firm at Smart Density. So Smart Density, uh, as the name implies, work on planning and architecture for transit-oriented communities. And uh, so some of our parking lot sites, have, we've used Nama's firm to work on those. Um, uh, Sweeney & Co., which is another architecture firm, has, has helped us out along the way. Uh, and there's, you know, St. Clair's, who's a not-for-profit uh, housing provider in the city of Toronto. We partner with the Toronto Association to End Homelessness. Uh, we're working with the uh, Urban Land Institute's Twilliger Institute in Washington, D.C. Um, we're just, we're sucking up good ideas from wherever we can find them. And we're really trying to take those good ideas and synthesize them into content that a grade four, five, or six student can consume when doing their social studies homework. Our challenge that we see a lot is, and Michael, you'll, you'll know this, there are some great professors and policy papers and organizations who write hundreds and thousands of pages a year on how to solve some of these problems. But they make terrible bumper stickers at election time. Yeah. So how do we take these complex ideas and make them consumable? We call it democratizing the data. How, how do I explain it to somebody who is standing on a subway platform and waiting for the, you know, the scroll ticker to go by on CP24? You know, they're, they're, they're going to be watching with the sound off. So what are the images or the postcards that are going up there that can explain the information in a way that people can understand it? And that's, that's what our focus has been. And it, you know, we're just a little bit more than three years old now. Um, and we appear to have had, had an impact, at least within the city of Toronto. Uh, very much so. And I love what you're saying. It's interesting. When I was with uh, Raising the Roof, we, uh, we were focused on the prevention of homelessness. And to your point is, it was just really complex. And so to say, well, when you do this, do this, and you know, 10 years down the road, we're going to have, I'm like, it's too much. And, and so then we had this other program, Reside, where we repurposed vacant homes. And it was, you know, 
crappy home, good home, people house. Yeah, I, I get that. Like yeah. it, we just broke it down. It's nice and simple. And, you know, I, I think, I remember, I think it was a line in the movie Philadelphia where uh, Denzel Washington as a lawyer said, someone explained this to me like I was, I was uh, in the second grade. Right? It's just keep it simple. And so I, yeah. I, that's brilliant. Um, so you've had a lot of press around housing now, which is awesome. And some of the recent press, you've used a term called lazy land. Can you tell us what you meant by that? And, and let's talk more about surplus government land and how it can aid in the developing of new housing. There's lazy land everywhere. Uh, you know, the, the Wilson subway station is one of the examples. So the Wilson parking lot, about 800 spaces, I think, or 700 spaces there, eight acres. Um, one of the very first housing now sites to be put through the process was surplus by the city in 2019. Hopefully in the next couple of months, Tridel and Greenwin will be breaking ground on that site. They'll be creating 1,484 new residential units. 520 of those will be affordable, with about 55 of them being deeply affordable. Nice. Uh, you know, and it's a parking lot that right now costs you five dollars to park on from 6 a.m. to 2 a.m. It's like 24 cents an hour. That's mm -hmm. lazy land. Yeah. Um, look at what's happening. All the pension funds who own the big shopping malls, Sherway, Yorkdale, Scarborough Town Center. Uh, those giant parking lots are all gonna be redeveloped into housing because most of them are near transit. Um, they're currently free parking, you know, that is tumbleweeds blow across those parking lots between 9 p.m. and 9 a.m. Those are, that's lazy land. Uh, you know, how even in downtown Toronto, the provincial government has one-story LCBOs with giant surface parking lots. That's lazy land. Uh, in Scarborough alone, there are th over 30 acres of free ghost station surface parking lots next to transit that they're, they're moving to 15-minute go service along the Lakeshore line. There, there's no shortage. And that's before we even get to the entire Downsview site, which is owned by Canada Lands and one of the pension funds, um, all adjacent to literally billions of dollars in underground transit infrastructure that's been built in the last 10 years. So you will never look at a surface parking lot the same way again <laughs> uh, after you've, you've driven around with me for a couple of hours. Yeah, very cool. I love that term. And you're so right. I think about just even like that, that airspace when you say uh, plazas and LCBOs and, and other spaces that like we're, we're just not using that and, and why that is taking up such a prime spot that could be housing. Yeah, and we're not we're not talking about expropriating it from private owners. These yeah. are, you know, these are federal, provincial, municipal institutions um, that just haven't exploited their land holdings appropriately. Uh, and they have to now because you'll know from your experience Land is the hardest nut to crack yeah. on affordable housing. You know, once you have the land, you can kind of figure everything else out. Absolutely. And you think just even to the, the last, you know, rapid housing initiative, that was your first key thing you had to have, land. Right? If yep. you have land, come talk to us and we can make this happen quick. Too. And I love the rapid housing initiative. I mean, mm -hmm. my favorite thing, like we've done so far, the city's completed two of the modular housing builds and 
They've also done a couple of hotel and uh, building acquisitions that they're converting into supportive housing. But the feds showed up with money in a substantial amount of dollars. But once you took the dollars, you had 12 months to get people in the door. So we had to use minister zoning orders, which had to be signed by the province. We got most of them. We didn't get all of them because even the province isn't that brave about ministers zoning orders in certain swing seats, right? <laughs> yes. um, but Although this government's done, well, I think hey, there have been four before, you know, over the years of this government. Yeah, but they also changed, the liberals changed how, lib, how zoning orders were done in 2017. So right. there, was a, there was a change in how they could be used that it didn't matter who won the 2018 election. There would have been a lot more zoning orders yeah, in this in this term of government. Uh, but the, sure. the rapid housing initiative is great because it's that it has the word rapid in it. And we need to be doing things at, at a speed and a scale that will upset the neighbors. It's the only way we get to the kinds of numbers that all the politicians say that they want to achieve in affordable housing, supportive housing and the other kinds of housing we need to deliver. Yeah, yeah, well said. And, and, you know, it's funny because some of the other federal initiatives, and I know CBC is working on this, but they just take too long, right? They're too comprehensive, or too, uh, too complicated for smaller groups to uh, push forward. But rapid housing, we were just talking with uh, a local MP and he was saying, what, what do you want to see? How can we support? And I said, bring another round of the rapid housing initiative, right? Like I've heard nothing but uh, praise for that. And you're right, because it starts with rapid now. Let's make this happen. I think there's also less of a paperwork burden on the not-for-profits. The not-for-profits get a pretty quick yes or no and sort of one iteration at it. Whereas in some of the other programs, a not-for-profit can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars yes. hoping to get funded by CMHC. And if, if the deal doesn't go through, CMHC doesn't give them that time or that money back. It just disappears. Well said, and that is absolutely true. Um, so what are some of the big, biggest obstacles that Housing Now Toronto has faced in its work? Uh, I know it has your success hasn't come without challenges. What are those? There, it is a level of change and a level of development that makes a lot of incumbent stakeholders uncomfortable. And incumbent stakeholders within the bureaucracy and incumbent stakeholders and the political class and incumbent stakeholders in the in the neighborhood. Um, you know, we had some very early fights with councillors and neighborhood groups about losing those cheap parking lots. We had some fights within the city silos about, well, why do you need this much height and density? This goes beyond our zoning bylaws. Well, your zoning bylaw is from 2002 and it's not 2002 anymore. And if you want to deliver affordable housing and you want CMHC to fund it, it needs to be at a size and a scale that falls within the CMHC framework. And, and so those have, been, those have been hard nuts to crack. And, you know, some neighborhoods have been more nimby than other neighborhoods. I, so I, uh, I work in York Region, but uh, I reside in uh, um, East Toronto. And so one of the parking lots you're talking about, it blew my mind that it was a parking lot that, and I believe at one point it was called 
kind of like the crown jewel of the neighborhood. It's where the heart uh, of the neighborhood. The heart of the neighborhood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah with the Nibiasm happening there, and and, and Brad uh, Bradford was is the counselor there uh, who who stood up for that, which was great to see. But I, just shocking to be in my work and think, well, this one's an easy one. It's a parking lot. You know, it's going to be housing. It's going to be you know true community. Uh, to see that kind of pushback and use the term the heart of the community, how a parking lot could be that was a, was a little shocking. But I think you know, first of all, Councillor Bradford deserves tons of recognition for being willing to stand there and take the public floggings from the neighbors uh, to support that project. The mayor was showing up regularly. You know, the, the mayor of a city of almost three million people wasted so much time in the last eighteen months holding people's hands in various different neighborhood groups, you know, and that's for 45 units of supportive modular housing, right? Like, it can't take 20 hours of the mayor's personal time (laughs) in meetings with residents to get 45 units approved. That won't scale to the 18,000 units the city says they want to create of supportive housing by 2030. Um, So Councillor Bradford's been incredibly brave. There are some other councillors who are not very brave about their sites. Um, you know, frankly, we support the use of the minister's zoning orders, and there's stuff in the housing task force report which says if you reach a certain level of affordability, if you reach a certain number of years of affordability, if you're supported by all three levels of government, the neighbors can't appeal it anymore. Yeah. Right? And that is it only costs a neighborhood group four hundred dollars to appeal a a supportive housing or a modular housing build (laughs) you know when your house is increasing in value by 60 70 thousand dollars a year it's pretty easy to pull together four hundred dollars (laughs) absolutely so you know people take offense we're not really nimby we're concerned about the neighborhood everybody's concerned about their neighborhood but we have to also be concerned about the people who we need to make space for in our neighborhoods. Like that that park example in in East York, the choice isn't do we have homeless people in the neighborhood? The choice is do we have homeless people living in the ravines along the Don Valley? Or do we have formerly homeless people living in structured supportive housing on this parking lot? Those are your two choices. That's, that's all you get. <laughs> Adam Vaughn had a great line a while back. I remember he said, uh, people experiencing homelessness are just neighbors without a home, right? Like, and yep. that's, that's exactly, they are your neighbors. Uh, and, and, you know, wouldn't you want your neighbors to be housed? Um, what are, what, you, you're doing incredible work. What is the team working on now that you, know, you want to share anything like exciting right now? And what are the plans for the future? Uh, We did some interesting work with the Housing Task Force. We provided a a lot of stuff into the Ontario Housing Affordability Task Force, and we we encouraged them to draw outside the lines to go beyond their mandate and to talk about affordable rental housing development, to talk about surplus lands. There's entire sections of that document that talk about that, Um, to actually bake into the document the language of affordable guaranteed 30% affordable for 40 years. Um, that's, that's been a big part of the work. Um, you know, we are, there's now something called the Housing Now Pipeline in Toronto. So there's another 80 acres of land 
uh, that are in future pipeline beyond the original 21 sites, including all the Allen East district land up around um, Downsview. And we're also working with the folks at Downsview on uh, all of the plans on the federal and pension fund owned lands there. We're starting to talk with the pension fund and infrastructure Ontario about the East Harbor development, which is down at the bottom of the Don Valley. Um, and we're talking with Waterfront Toronto and all of their developers about Quayside and the Portlands and Villiers Island. We, we just really want to make this housing now model repeatable on all of these government owned lands or government supported lands. Um, you know, and, I, and then, like I said, people in Calgary are, are starting to look at our model. So we've been working with some students out there on a, a Calgary version of their housing map. Um, and we'll just, we'll just keep trying to get good ideas up to the surface and get them into common use. Okay, cool. Well, it's only been three years. I should be awfully proud of all you've done and continue to do uh, as a group. Where can people go to find out more about the work of Housing Now TO and, and to support or get involved? Uh, if, if you want to get involved, our email address is info at housingnowto.com. Uh, the map is easy to find. It's a Google map. It's, inf it's, it's housingnowto.com, uh, all one word. Uh, and on our social media Twitter is housingnowto. Uh, and we're also on LinkedIn. People are welcome to connect to me on LinkedIn and follow up with any questions you have. If you're interested in volunteering, our volunteering is very spiky. And the city announces they're releasing a bunch of land. We work like crazy for two or three weeks. And then we kind of go quiet for a while until the city announces they're releasing another tranche of land. Um, but there, there's always opportunities to get involved. And if you're teaching at a university uh, or a college and a planning school, we love to bring projects to students. Uh, we've done a couple of projects with uh, Ryerson Planning School on parking lot to affordable housing conversions. Uh, we're doing one right now with U of T School of Cities, and we'd love to work with McMaster and Queens and Waterloo and University of Ottawa and anybody within the sound of my voice who has students who want to help tackle some of these wicked problems. Super cool. and love to hear uh, you encouraging students uh, and, and others to get involved. And they love that too. You know, putting their They haven't been told videos. no yet, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we, we, we get them before the system has ground them down. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Mark, it has been such a pleasure. Uh, it's such exciting work. It's so cool. And I've learned so much today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, thank you for taking the time to volunteer and do pro bono work for Housing Now, T.O. But thanks for coming on the show today. Great, Michael. Thanks. It's been great. Wow. You know, uh, I learned so much today. I love uh, Mark's term lazy land uh, to me and understanding what that means. And he's right. When I drive around now, even without Mark, I'm going to be thinking about that and looking at things a little differently. And and here you have an example too. Uh, people are quick, as I say quite often, to point the finger at government. They absolutely have a spot in preventing and ending homelessness and doing the work. But here you have skilled community members stepping up, coming together to help make a difference. Uh, and you heard Mark there, there's plenty of ways to get involved. Very cool, a great project, another great guest uh, on the way home. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on the way home.
I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.